Hola amigos, this is Enrique Morones of Gente Unida with another Buen Hombre episode as we have every Tuesday. Every Tuesday we have Buen Hombre or we have Magnificent Mujer. And today we have an incredible Buen Hombre, a good friend of mine, somebody that I've known for many, many years and somebody you should all know. He's a legendary person, activist, a politician, and most important, a friend to the community. And I'm talking about Gil Cedillo. Gil, how are you, brother? Good to see you again. Well, I am so happy to see you. I cannot tell you how uh, this period of uh, the pandemic and of the incredible social movement sparked by the uh, uh, murder of uh, George Floyd has given us all a moment of reflection, the passing of John Lewis, of course, uh, and others has given us a moment of reflection. So I wanted to tell you personally how much uh, I'm happy to see you, how proud I am to be a friend of yours, how, as I have always said, you're the conscience of America, the conscience of our community, uh, what you've done, uh, your work, and what you continue to do on behalf of the most challenged people in, our, in, in the country is, is extraordinary. And so, brother, I love you very much, and I'm uh, proud to, to stand beside you in, the, in this movement for social justice. Muchas gracias, amigo. Likewise, uh, Gil Cedillo has been a in the Assembly, in the Senate, he's a city councilman, uh, author of the State Dream Act, and so much more. One of the things that I like to do, whether it's the radio shows I've had in the past or other podcasts, is have the person sort of self-introduce themselves. So when somebody says, who is Gil Cedillo, what do you tell them? And I'm talking about ever since, uh, you know, Barstow days, UCLA, that type of Gil Cedillo. Yeah. Gil Cedillo is the son of two hardworking uh, parents, uh, Mary Ruiz Cedillo and, and uh, Gilbert Stein Cedillo. I'm a third generation Angelino. Uh, my father's family came north in 1941, 1921 from Durango, from the high uh, deserts of uh, Durango, Tawalilo, uh, Durango. Uh, my mom's family was here in 1910 when my grandmother was born on my mom's side. Uh, and my grandmother is married to a man named Noel Ruiz. Interesting in both my families, uh, and my grandfathers were uh, lost their lives early. And so my parents grew up without knowing their parents, their fathers. Uh, Manuel Ruiz was replaced by Manuel Mesa, and he raised my mom's fa family until he was nice. He documented worker his whole life here in the United States. And my dad's uh, and his family from, from Manuel Ruiz, also drifted up to Ohio. And so I was looking forward this year to going up to find those roots. And on my dad's side, uh, very hard life for that family that came north in 1921. Uh, they headed to Barstow. Uh, they worked hard, very much attached to the Santa Fe Railroad. And uh, so I have a lot of family from the high desert area, whether it's in Durango or whether it's here in, in California and Barstow. And, and the elements of that life make you a, a, a tough person because it's not an easy life. Uh, it's a very harsh life and I come from a very working class family. So I'm proud of that. As uh, you mentioned, I grew up in Boyle Heights though my whole time. Uh, my father worked at American Can Company, one of the hotbeds of uh, CIO and AFL-CIO organizing. He was a United Steelworker. And my mom grew up working in the uh, garment industry in downtown Los Angeles. So I'm a uh, proud to be of the working class. And as you know, before I became uh, an elected uh, leader, I spent about 15 years organizing workers 
both with the AFL-CIO, SEIU Local 660, and the United Food and Commercial Workers, and also worked with an independent union called uh, the IBGW out of Chicago, Local 301. And so uh, that's my life. Uh, Borough Heights, Roosevelt Rough Rider, uh, UCLA Bruin, uh, People's College of Law, and uh, here to serve. You know, I don't know if you, I, I think I've shared this with you before. My grandfather was the founder of the CROM, which was the biggest labor union in, in Mexico. And the CROM was actually going to form a partnership with the AFL-CIO. It was going to be the AFL, because AFL and the CIO, as, as you know, were separate. Yep. AFL-CIO-CROM. It was going to be one big union. And uh, that's my grandfather, my dad's dad, Luis N. Morones. And I almost was a Bruin, because many pounds ago, I used to be a distance runner. Yes. And you ended up having a very famous track coach who was a coach of mine here down here, Don Larson, who retired, but he's from San Diego, as, as I am from San Diego. And uh, you mentioned about uh, your uh, part of your family dying young. Sometimes people die just too young, and we've lost some great ones, Marco Antonio Fireball yep. and a friend of ours. And then this past year, a very dear friend of yours, also a dear friend of mine, Nativo Lopez. And wow, is he missed right now? I'm very upset with him. I called his daughter last week to tell her I'm very upset with him because, uh, like you, he was one of the stalwarts, one of the pillars of our community. And I relied on him to do so much because then it gave me the ability to take your work and his work and try to create public policy from that. But in his absence, he's a, a very big void. Antonio Gonzalez, also from oh, South yeah very big void and then we lost Felipe Placencia as well so in a very short couple of months last year we lost three giants I mean a legal giant a community organizing giant a voting rights giant uh, these guys were global and so there's a void field uh, a little another cross more crosses for you to bear uh, and we just have to you know shoulder forward without them but uh, I'm upset with them for not being here. <laughs> yes, and I know what you mean. And uh, you mentioned at the beginning uh, George Floyd, of course, also Breonna Taylor, Miss mm -hmm. uh, Guillen, the people that have died very unjustly. And that's one of the things that has really sparked a movement. And we've been in a lot of movements, the big marches of 2006, et cetera. But never, never like right now, where you have the youth out there of all colors uh, marching and demanding that Black Lives Matter, which they do. And it's encouraging to see such diversity in these protests. Mm -hmm. You know, 50 years ago, I was 16 years old in the summer of 1970. Uh, and I <clears throat> participated in a high school program called Upward Bound. I spent my summers at UCLA when I was in high school. I was uh, mentored by young activists, Antonio Hernandez, uh, Samuel Paz, Marilena Yepes, uh, uh, what's his name? He's a photographer. I have a picture of him. What's the, what's the picture saying? The photographer, Luis Garza. Those were my counselors. I'm 16 years old. They're all in college and in law school, and they were pushing me away from my athletic career, uh, being a quarterback and pushing me into being a, uh, an activist and a participant in the Chicano movement. And so uh, that summer was the uh, March, August 29th, and I was there. And so it's been 50 years. And one of the things that I've thought about this spring and the summer 
is we have to uh, be very supportive of the young people, make sure they know that there's history, that they're not, they're discovering something, but they're not inventing something, and help us move forward and grow forward as a movement, as a community, as a people. This is our destiny to go forward. And uh, so you have to think about the people who are older than us in, the, in 1970 who, who tolerated us, who tempered us, who uh, supported us. And, uh, you know, the Burke Coronas of that time period, the Esteban Torreses of that time period, the Max Avalos, Chole Alatore of that time period, those people, Irene Tovad, those people were people who were charting the course before us, before we became Chicanos. And uh, so we must do the same for these young people. Uh, it's an incredible spring and summer. It's a moment of change. Uh, and uh, I want to acknowledge that, recognize that, because we, we're excited about some of our proposals that we're bringing to the city in this moment of change. Yes, and, and uh, this, this year, 2020, is a spring and summer like no other with everything that's going on with the two big diseases, uh, COVID-19 and racism. Yes. Never before. Uh, and then what's happening at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue is unprecedented. You know, and you have all of this hate that, that we see coming from there. And then the passing of the great late John Lewis, uh, who told us to, to, uh, to continue peacefully but to get into good trouble, get into good trouble. And um, yeah, yeah, just such a hero of mine as you are. And you were, when you were mentioning some of those people, one of the big, the biggest influence in my life was my father. And his, the seventh anniversary of his death was just uh, this past week. And he would have been a hundred years old right now if he was with us today from, from Mexico City. And as far as activism is concerned in San Diego and along the border, Roberto Martinez, he passed away 10 years ago, and he was the father of human rights, the first to bring attention, the deaths along the border, et cetera. Um, and right now, we're sitting in, a, in, in Barrio Logan. We're in Border X, which is a, a restaurant bar. That's where you hear a little bit of noise in the background. We're only about a mile from Chicano Park, which is legendary, of course, uh, with all the murals and, and so on and so forth. So we're moving forward in this time like no other, and we're gonna be facing, without a doubt, the most important election of our lifetimes. Because up to now, every election has been the most important up to that point. But this one, November 3rd, is the most important in our lifetimes. The importance of getting out the Latino vote. Uh, in 2016, you know better than most, 64 million people voted for Hillary, 62 for Trump. 100 million people didn't vote. 100 million people didn't vote. We can never let that happen again. What kind of message could you give us as far as getting out the, uh, the Latino vote? And next, next week after your podcast, we've invited a woman that's very active in this issue who I loved when I heard her on CNN, Linda Ronstadt. She's going to be our magnificent head, and she's going to be telling us about uh, the Latino vote. But what can you tell us about the importance of not only the Latino, but especially the Latino vote in this upcoming election? So you're absolutely right. It's the most important election in the history of the world, right? I'll, I'll quote Steve Schmidt. Uh, I will tell you that, uh, first of all, let me give a shout out to my compadre, Mario Chacon, who is yeah. down there doing the murals. Uh, we've been friends since the fourth grade. He's from Borough Heights. 
uh, roommates at UCLA. Oh yeah, I didn't know that. No, he's my compadre. He, he, he baptized my son. Um, so, with respect to this election, uh, amazing head as you said. Uh, also, throw in there Natalie Reyes, uh, the leader of the Latino Victory Fund. I talked to Teresa Cunha this morning, who's at Harvard, who's going to leave her post and leave to join the Biden campaign in Arizona. Uh, if people want us to vote for them, they have to talk to us. They have to have messengers from our community. They have to speak our language, not just the, um, uh, the language literally, but they have to speak to the issues that affect us. Uh, immigration for both you and I is a major issue. And, you know, it's, it's, I'm pleased to hear the vice president talk about he's going to make a pathway to citizenship for 11 million people. We've heard that before, though. And so uh, we want to make sure that that happens, uh, that we win this election, that the staff uh, of the White House looks like us and thinks like us, not just looks like us, but thinks like us, that uh, we want benchmarks and timetables for the question of immigration reform. Uh, we want to see a use of the executive action, uh, much like we see uh, in the Trump administration, but for good things. Um, and, you know, we want to, obviously, the DREAM Act, we want to move that immediately. Uh, but we've got to move into immigration reform, uh, and it's got to be comprehensive. We've waited too long, over 20 years. The stability of that community is amazing, because we sat there on the Eve of 9-11 and talked about the whole enchilada and the conversations between Jorge Castaneda and the Bush administration and all the preparations. 9-11 came and, and, and we're here today still talking about it. Yes. And those people still remain in the shadows, the foundation of our economy, important sectors of our economy, and we're not integrating them fully until we do comprehensive immigration reform. And so anybody who wants their vote has to talk about that has to give us timetables, make a commitment, and we need to have people there to hold them accountable. So that's, that's uh, what I have to say about that. We cannot understate as you have the importance of voting. You know, it is our vehicle. It is in this democracy the most important. And we have to be strategic. At some point, we've got to get rid of the Electoral College. But we also have to think about it. If, that's, if those are the rules of the game, then we got to win by the rules of the game. And while we had 64 million votes, we didn't win this election. And, you know, uh, shame on us because we had the votes because there was 100 million. But there was 11,000 in, in uh, the suburbs of Detroit, Michigan that didn't vote. And they got poison water in Flint, right? That's what they got. They didn't vote. They thought this talk that, oh, well, they're all the same. No, they're not the same. We've seen one of the most historic thugs in the history of governance. Take, take the leadership, the presidency of the United States, and it's a danger to the world, to the global uh, interests of the world to have somebody like that. So not everybody's the same. And those who sat on the side, those who voted for a third candidate, those who didn't think it was important enough to vote, that they could protest, that they could organize, they could rally, it's not enough. Voting matters and winning matters. And so we have to do that to make sure that um, we elect um, Joe Biden, but you know, in that process, we also have to make sure that that campaign is reflective of uh, our community and uh, 
uh, that were integrated into that campaign and that were integrated in the transition team and were integrated into the uh, White House. I'd like to see you in the White House, have an office of, of um, human relations, right? Of civil and human rights. We, we have a, an office we created in the city of Los Angeles called the Office of Civil and Human Rights. I'd like to see an office of civil and human rights and immigrant rights in the White House that you would lead, right? Well, that'd be fantastic. Um, as you know, Julie Chavez Rodriguez is on the Biden team and uh, we are, she's going to be on the podcast as well, but we need to make sure that we hold uh, Joe Biden accountable. You know, he wasn't necessarily the best candidate from the democratic party, but he is the candidate. Right. And four years ago, um, you know, there were so many people that said, Oh, I'm a, I'm a Bernie guy. And since he's not the guy, I'm not going to vote. And I kept on saying, if you don't vote, that's actually a vote for the other side. That's right. And boy, was that, was that true. So we're kind of in the, we're not kind of, we are in the same situation today. But, you know, fool me once, shame on me, but fool me twice. Even though there was a lot of shenanigans in 2016, the thing is, he is at the White House. So we have got to make sure that not only do we have Biden sitting at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, but we can also take the Senate and we got to keep the Congress and then there's the local elections. I was just elected here in San Diego to the human or appointed to the Human Relations Commission. And one of the things that I've been dealing with a lot, and I was uh, talking to CNN over the weekend, is how come when people talk about race in this country, it's black and white? It's black and white. I go, you never include the Latinos. And we're a larger population than the African-American. And I'm not trying to cause any division. On the contrary, I want unity. But they got to take us into account and they don't deliver. And it's like, oh, well, in the next four years, then the next four years. Well, no more next four years. It's now. It's now. We got to vote November 3rd and we got to make sure that they do look at uh, the, the, the dreamers, that they did do look at humane policies, that they stop this uh, politics of fear and division. And talking about dreamers, nobody knows more about the DREAM Act than you, with what you did here in, in California. So how would that National DREAM Act look in your eyes? With DACA and everything. Two, two uh, case in points to, about what you said about how absent we are. Three points. Once on CNN, I saw a program on diversity. I had nine people. I think six were African-American, maybe seven. Uh, a white woman and a white man. That was the show on diversity, right? We didn't exist. If you read uh, Axelrod's book, the guy who... who David Axelrod, yeah. Google, David Axelrod of, of uh, Barack Obama. You read his entire book, we're, we're not even mentioned in a full paragraph. But this week, this week, a, the Emmys came out. And the nominations of all the Emmys, 1% Latino nominations, 1%. In a city that is 50% Mexican. 50% Mexican, Mexican-American. In the census count, the foundation for our democracy, we must count everybody, we must know who's here, we must use that to draw the lines, it's in the Constitution. This is such a key and critical point. 20,000 people applied to be part of that census commission. 17,000 applications were accepted. In the first eight positions, not one Latino or Latina. That's unacceptable, intolerable. I, I'm tired of it. I get up every day and I think, I don't count. We don't exist. 
You can't see us anywhere, right? The only time you'll see us on television, it's crime, it's narco traffickers. That's it. The only mo movies that get, get uh, green lighted is narco traffickers. It's Mayans on motorcycles. Give me a break here. I don't want to see another one of those shows. So, right, you're absolutely right. Black Lives Matter, but you know what? We are not BIOP or whatever that thing, uh, other communities. We're not the other communities. We're the majority. That's right. We're the largest minority. So we're not like some other ancillary thing that you're going to add us in or tag us in. We want and insist and demand full equity, full participation. You know? We There's a uh, another Boyle Heights resident who's one of our advisors, and she was on Magnificent Mujer a few weeks ago, Josefina Lopez. Yeah. Josefina, as you know, is a dear friend of mine. We just had breakfast a couple of weeks ago, and she was talking about, once again talking about, in the, uh, the movie industry, the underrepresentation of Latinas. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you don't have people of that, of like a Latino or a Latina or a gay person or a person of color in executive positions, they're not going to think about it. They're not going to think about it. They're going to just exclude us. And it's important that we are included. And that's why we need people of color in executive positions. When I used to be in Major League Baseball, I would bring that up all the time. I was going, how is it possible that at that time I was the highest ranking Latino in Major League Baseball. I go, there should be a lot of Latinos and African and so on and so forth, but they don't think about it. And there's still a lot of work to do. One of the campaigns that I've started, and I'm going to talk to our friends, uh, Roberto Lovato and Lado Alcaraz to help me. Yeah. One of the names we have to change, because I'm glad that the Washington uh, football team changed its name or doesn't have a name. That's good. But how about the Texas Rangers? The Texas Rangers, the team that Bush used to own. The Rangers were a racist organization before the board. The lynching and all that, that was the Rangers. And they that's were the name the of the team. Badges. They were the clan with badges. Yes. So, and they're called the Texas today. We got to change that. We got to change the Texas baseball team name. We got to take down the Pete Wilson statues in San Diego. We got to boycott Goya. But we have to do it because it gets, you know, gets a lot of play for a week or two, and then we forget. We cannot forget. We will forget no more. And that's why the youth, the youth, you know, our generation, we haven't done a good enough job. But the youth, I'm confident that they will take the reins like the dreamers have. Uh, and, and, and before I forget, so what about the National Dream Act? What, you know, what do you see as far as Biden's in the White House and all of a sudden he asks you, we're going to have a national, uh, you know, DACA, Dream Act type of situation. What would be your vision of that? What you did here in the state, how would you make that national? Well, you take what... We build, we build on what we have. Uh, so you take an executive order and you expand it. You make it immediate. Uh, and you bring in the, the largest group possible. And you make that the case until we have the reform. So that then they automatically roll into the reform. And he can do that the first day. Stop bouncing back and forth between the Supreme Court. He has the power. The court has ruled several cases on it. So immediately you do that. You put them on a pathway to citizenship. You look at their, their, their time here. Many of them, I mean, I mean, as I said, on the eve of 9-11-01, there was a discussion for the whole enchilada. We're ready to do it. That means people were already here waiting. Those 11 million people were already here. People have put their time in. They've done all the things that we would normally have asked them to do. And so we do the same thing with the dreamers. They're obviously the most meritorious, given that they were brought here through no choice of their own, and they've done what we've asked them to do. Also look at people who have served uh, in our military 
forces. You're ready to give up our lives for, for this country, and yet we don't want to acknowledge them or bring them in. Immediately, they should be, through executive action, be given legal status. And those that have been deported should be immediately contacted and offered to return with full legal status. Anybody who's put their life on the line to serve this country should be given that opportunity to, to live here legally. That's I, I agree. the third time. <laughs> One of the things that I am not in agreement with, maybe the majority of the Latino community, because I've been out there when that person has crossed the desert, they're getting into the country, and I've been doing this for almost 40 years. Not one person ever, ever has said to me, I want to be a citizen. They're, they're not coming here to be citizens. They're coming here, like people all over the world, most don't come to the United States, they go to other countries, to be able to have a life, right? They, they want to have a life to, for their children. How important do you think it is that the, that the dreamers become citizens immediately? In my opinion, that's not the number one thing. That they become residents, yes. But because that's, that's sometimes a breaking point in some of these laws. And I'm thinking, do they have to become citizens right away, though? I want them to become citizens eventually. But does it have to be like right now? And how about their parents? You know, God bless them because they have said we want to have our parents also included. Yep. But, but, but as far as I'm concerned, because that, that's what holds up the Republicans a lot, supposedly. Uh, the citizenship thing, is it really that important for them, in your eyes, for them to become citizens right away? Or could it be a process? They become residents and then, you know, they go through the process. So, you know, I was a union negotiator before uh, for SCIU. And um, so they're all important. The question is a question of timing and when. So let's not make them deal breakers. Become legal permanent residents now. Yes. Be citizens now because some merit it. Uh, maybe the dreamers merit it now given their accomplishment. Uh, and then let's have that process. But I, I, I will say citizenship is very important. Uh, and we're looking at provisions within the city of Los Angeles because I'll tell you why. We want people to vote. We want civic engagement. We want them to participate in commissions. We want them to work for government. I always cite a couple examples. Uh, Jose Hernandez is an astronaut, speaks six languages, Arabic, Russian, Spanish, English, Italian, French, I don't know, right? He was undocumented. Okay, so what's that mean? That means that he was working in the fields when we could have had him working in science, right? Dr. Q. John Hopkins teaches people brain surgery, right? You know, my wife passed away uh, through cancer that metastasized into to brain tumors. You know, he was undocumented. Why would we have him working in the fields picking? Nothing wrong with that work, dignity and all work, but we should have been accelerating this man. Imagine he could have solved cancer by now had he started yeah. sooner. So it's a drain on us, our economy, our workforce, our intellectual capital when we hold back people because of legal status. So we want them to come, become full citizens, but we need to you know, have a process, one that gives people, as I learned, both on the DREAM Act and the driver's license. Everybody loves a driver's license today. 1.7 million people have a driver's license who couldn't drive before. But it took a while because it took people a while for them to get their, their heads wrapped around the change, right? And so, you know, immediate legal status for everybody. Let's end the terror. Let's end, you know, push the shadows away. And then let's have that process to, to citizenship in a reasonable way that serves not just those families, but also serves this nation. And let's not undermine ourselves by 
Uh, Absolutely. With the driver's license, there's another thing that you played a key role in. And the fact that now it's really not that much of an issue, but when it was happening, it was, oh my God, you're going to give him driver's licenses. And I would be out there saying, oh, really, you want that person to crash and take off because they don't have a driver's license? It yeah. makes no sense. It makes, and of course, it has to be a regular driver's license, not a scarlet letter where they can be abused and so forth. Um, and the same thing with the dreamers. When you talk to, when you see the polls right now, 75% of the country supports that these people should be able to stay. And things have changed dramatically. Not too long ago, the country was against gay marriage and so on and so forth. That's not even an issue anymore. The same thing is going to happen with the Dreamers and the DACA uh, recipients. So let's get moving on it. And a big part of that will be by voting on November 3rd. On the campaigns to vote, we're working with a lot of different people. I mentioned that we're working with Linda Ronstadt. Uh, the other day, I, I was talking to, uh, we're working with Eva Longoria and Voto Latino and all these other organizations. So when you see somebody in the street and they can't vote and they recognize you, because this happens to me, I'll tell them, okay, you cannot vote, but you know people that can vote. So you have got to be a voice and tell that employee at the restaurant or where you're working, whatever work you might do, get out there and vote for us. Your vote is, is very, very important. And it's just something that you know, we cannot emphasize enough. So these national campaigns that we're all doing, you know, I really applaud your leadership and, and what you have been doing. And in Los Angeles, in District 1 there, the programs that you've developed there, getting people involved, making sure that they feel confident, that they realize that they're important, that they got to participate in the census, that their voices need to be heard. Um, those are very important issues to our community, and we got to continue to do that. So, uh, it, you know, I, like I said... Uh, about about this uh, immigrant who lives in a, in our country that's not a citizen. So our households are multi generational, and multi. I don't know how you would say this, but in our households, people have different legal status. So my grandfather was undocumented. Uh, we have different people who have. You know, I met dreamers, and then I'd meet uh, a young young you know Latina. She's twenty one, and then the dreamer, her brother's nineteen. And he's legal and she's not, she has, he has legal status and she doesn't. And he's like, hey bro, help my sister out, right? So we have those households. And so that's the point that you can talk to a person who's undocumented and there's somebody in their household who can vote. And so in my district, uh, our elections are driven and people don't think you can do this, but we do it each, each, each election is we focus on the immigrant voter and the immigrant household. And so we spend our dollars, our research, our mail, our polling is on, on the immigrant household. And we win elections and they turn out for us. If you talk to them, if you speak to them in their language and about their issues, they will turn out. And so we've got to do the same thing in this election. Uh, Arizona is an opportunity for us. Nevada, uh, the Southwest, uh, we have real opportunity, both as you said, very thoughtfully to change the Senate, take the presidency, and get our country back on the right track because uh, we are drifted way afar of the uh, American ideal and we've got a lot of work to do and we're going to need the Senate, the House, and the presidency. Right. And uh, in closing, this is without a doubt the most important election we'll ever have in our lifetime. And one of the, the things that I've asked uh, all of the guests, and it's a little bit off of what we're talking about right now, but to Gil Cedillo, what is love? 
John Lewis kept on teaching us about love and about um, you know getting in good trouble and responding to the KKK that beat him up and he even he even uh, you know embraced them when they came to say they were sorry at yeah. at his Congress office. So what is love to Gil Cedillo, a person that? Helped us get the driver's license, the Dream Act, that lost his wife to cancer, that has been such a role model. So you've seen it. You've seen it all. What is love? Love, you know, John Lewis says love is action, not just a word. And love for us is also service. Uh, we, we talk about it a lot in our office, servant leadership. Uh, we are here to serve our community. Uh, uh, we're very blessed. We're very fortunate to be in a position uh, sometimes, uh, you may remember this, sometimes uh, we have a tendency to be a little too theoretical, a little too rhetorical, a little too political. My wife was a very practical person. And I remember sometimes we would see homeless people and I'd start talking to her about the importance of a broader policy and she would say, just help them. Would you rather be in a position to need help or to give help? And that question, we always want to be in the person who's able to give help. We're blessed in that way. So love, love is service. Love is helping. Uh, love is embracing. Well, thank you very much, uh, Gil. I love you. I love everything that you're about and everything that you've done. We're going to ask you to send us some of your um, information so people can get a hold of you, the various programs that you're working with. We really appreciate all uh, the lifetime of love and service to the community. So on behalf of Sarah Bella, our producer, Enrique Morones, and the entire team here at Gente Unida, muchísimas gracias, amor, si se puede. Amor. And let's get out there and vote November 3rd. <laughs> amor is voting. <laughs> Así es. Muchas, I like that. Muchas gracias. <laughs> Thank you. Muchas gracias. Okay, brother. Love you guys. God bless. Okay, God bless you. Hey everybody, my name is David Favela. I'm the owner and CEO of Border X Brewing. We have a brewery here in San Diego in LA, and we invite the community to fill it with culture and community. So hope you can join us at some point and support your local podcast, El Buen Hombre. The location in LA is in the city of Bell, right on Gage Avenue and Atlantic. You can't miss it. We're right in the heart of LA. They do a pickup, but you can uh, you can come by and visit. We have food vendors, so you can get your food and your beer at once. Uh, the restaurant here in San Diego is open. We're following COVID regulations, and we have a beer garden, a full restaurant, and we've taken over the street. So come on down and give us a visit. We open up at three o'clock until uh, ten here in San Diego, and in LA we open from four to eight. Uh, we're working on delivery options. Go to borderxnation.com when we go live. You'll be able to order our delicious beer and hopefully we can get it to you. Thank you so much, David.